This is Dramatic Travels. Yeah-ho out there in podcast land. Aaron Schlein here, and you have landed on episode number 28 of Dramatic Travels Family. My guest today is author Rich Rattay. He is the king of the road trip, and Rich has a brand new book called Don't Make Me Pull Over an informal history of the family road trip. My chat with Rich is coming right up in just 35 seconds after this quick word from our nonprofit partner, Flight. Flight is a nonprofit organization that empowers students in underserved communities through transformative travel experiences. I believe in flight because I believe that every student deserves a chance to expand his or her global education, regardless of where they come from or how much money they have. I encourage you to visit DramaticTravels.com slash flight. There you'll find links to join the flight community and donate to this fantastic organization. That address again is DramaticTravels.com slash flight. Light. All right, away we go with today's guest. He is joining us from Wisconsin in the United States of America. His name is Rich Rattay. Welcome to the show, Rich. Are you ready to share your dramatic travels? I am ready to get dramatic, Aaron. All right, sir. Richard describes himself as the king of the road trip, especially those classic family road trips of yesteryear. Rich recently published his first book called Don't Make Me Pull Over, an informal history of the family road trip. He is the youngest of four kids raised by two mostly attentive parents in Elm Grove, Wisconsin, and he graduated from the University of Wisconsin with a degree in journalism and has worked as an award-winning advertising copywriter for 25 years. Richard lives in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin with his wife, Terry, their two sons, and two very excitable rescue dogs. Richard, that's your official bio. Fill in any gaps there and just tell us about you and tell us about that book. Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm approaching the mid-century mark. I will be celebrating my 50th birthday a little bit later this year. So I have basically spent a half a century on the roads of America, uh, First getting started in those uh, in the 1970s and 1980s out on the, the highways and interstates traveling with my parents uh, and my siblings. As you said, I was the youngest of four kids by a good margin. Uh, my mom called me her extra special blessing because uh, my, my brothers and sister are all considerably older than me. So I was the little caboose at the end. I think uh, a little bit unexpected maybe. But uh So uh, my dad was an avid golfer. The point of many of our family road trips was to get him out of the cold Wisconsin winter and down to a warm, sunny golf course uh, as fast as humanly possible, which meant we almost always traveled directly south. And we went to many destinations along the Gulf Coast, Florida Panhandle. We got to Walt Disney World, of course, after it opened in 1971. And and as the years went on, we expanded our destinations to more of the East Coast, but we rarely traveled uh, west of the Mississippi River. So that and then uh, and then I, I guess even today, I still uh, am out on the highways with my with my own wife and kids. Um, but we're making up for lost time these days. Now we're, we're heading more west and going to all the, those great destinations uh, out west that we never did when I was a kid. Well, road trips clearly had a very powerful impact on you as a kid, uh, so much so that you decided to write a book about it. And we're going to get to that in just a little bit. But 
I know you probably have a lot of potential memories to pull from uh, from those road trips as a kid. Can you just identify one that's just a clear cut winner as like just most inspirational early travel memory on the road? Um, gosh, inspirational. Um, I mean, certainly the one that I opened with my book with is one of the most memorable. It was also one of the most scary, um, because we were traveling very early in the morning. It was our habit to get up, uh, and leave our house around 3 a.m. because, you know, we live in, in, in Milwaukee or lived in Milwaukee when I was growing up. Uh, and so we had to get through Chicago before rush hour happened in the morning. So my dad would march through the house at 3 a.m. like a drill sergeant at Reveille, turning on all our lights and beating the the pans and whatnot to get us up and going. And, you know, as the youngest, I would basically just be scooped up and thrown either in the way back of the fa- family station wagon or across the laps of my older brothers in the back seat. And we'd be off in a cloud of leaded g- gas fumes. Um, but so we were traveling. We actually got through Chicago and we were on an Indi- Indiana interstate um, right around at daybreak. And suddenly, uh, all of a sudden, the car started spinning. There is magazines and coffee cups everywhere. I have no idea what's going on because I'm laying across the laps of my brothers. Um, but clearly something has gone wrong. And all of a sudden, there's this big whoosh. And uh, we come to a, a, a sudden stop. And it is completely dark in the car. And, you know, I don't know. Am I dead? I don't, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. But what it was, was all of our windows were completely caked in snow. We had spun out uh, along with about 40 other cars on the Indiana interstate. We had apparently hit some black ice and all of our windows were caked in snow to the point where they they were blocking out all the sunlight. Um, And there we were kind of stranded on an Indiana interstate median and my dad gets out of the car and kind of surmises what's what's happened. And he sees cars uh, ahead of us and behind us off in ditches. And lo- luckily, it looks like uh, there were no collisions that nobody had slammed into each other. Um, but of course, you know, in, in, that, in those days, it was, you know, mid 1970s. We were going to have to wait a while for help until a fleet of wreckers would come and, and pull everybody out of the ditches. Uh, and so we basically just set up camp there on an Indiana interstate. Um, singing songs, playing our, our family games, um, trying to, you know, un, un, bury, unshovel our way, I guess, out of the median as well as we could. Uh, and years later, my siblings and I all agreed that, you know, that was one of the best starts to a family vacation ever, uh, you know, even though it could have turned out very badly, I guess, for all of us, but very vivid memories. Certainly. Well, and that trip has it all, man. It's got uh, you know, I love the way you paint that picture of your dad, you know, marching through the house at 3 a.m., waking everybody up with that. You know, we got to get on the road. Was your dad a, did he let you stop to go pee? Was he that kind of dad that would? Yeah, no, I, I found in the research for my book that dads fall into two camps, right? There's the, the first kind of dad who's like mine, who was all about what he called making time. He just wanted to get to that day's destination, whether it was a motel uh, or uh, some sort of attraction or our final destination. He just wanted to get there as fast as humanly possible. And if that meant skipping meals, 
or ignoring our pleas to get over and use the restroom. And Aaron, I got to tell you, I, I, <laughs> I swear to this day, my bladder is four times the size of the average humans because of all of those days, all those hours that I spent holding my pee in the cause of making time, you know, while, while I was traveling with my parents. Um, but then there's the other kind of dad who, of course, wants to stop at every attraction and they want to pull over for every historic landmark. Uh, you know, those are the dads that took families to go see the, the world's largest ball of twine or, or you know, the, the, the alligator farm or whatever, uh, you know, roadside attraction is being touted on the billboard that, that you just passed. Um, but my dad was all about making time. So, yeah, we, did, we didn't pull over for, for much of anything. So if you want your kids to quadruple their bladder size, just don't stop for, <laughs> for, uh, for bathroom breaks on those road trips. Or alternatively, you know, you paint that picture of the dad stopping at the ball of twine. I, my mind immediately goes to Clark Griswold in vacation on the way to Wally World. And I, I grew up in the 80s and that was one of my most favorite movies. Still is one of my most favorite nice. movies, which is why I'm so excited about this particular yeah. conversation because that's just the images that it conjures up for me. And now, you saw that that Clark Griswold himself, Chevy Chase, actually gave me a nice blurb for the book, right? I sure did. And that is, is something to the effect of if Clark Griswold had this book as a, as a reference that he wouldn't have gotten into so much trouble. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. You can yeah. clarify it. Ah, yeah, 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 you pretty much nailed it. But I mean, how cool is that to get the official okie dokie from Clark Griswold himself? You know, of course, this, you know, everybody's family vacation dad, right? Certainly is and conti will continue to uh, live on in the minds of many, include, including mine and certainly yours forever and ever. The m images of, of Wally World and getting there and the parks closed and punching that moose in the face. I'll never forget it. <laughs> if you In podcast land, if you haven't seen the movie Vacation, which... If you haven't, where in the heck have you been? But if you haven't, go check it out. We'll link it up in the show notes just in case you have no idea what Rich and I are talking about right now. But Rich, I've talked to plenty of inspiring uh, travelers over the course of this podcast, and many of them have mentioned road trips as kind of a leaping off point for a lifetime of travel. But you're the first one mm -hmm. who actually took the time to write a book about that great American road trip. So what is it about the magic of the road trip? It's the shared experience, right? It's those long hours in the car together. And it's not just the good times. It's the bad times, the, the challenging times uh, that you find along the way are just important as important to creating that, that shared experience and ultimately that bond that you share with your siblings uh, and, and parents. Um, you know, of course, everybody likes to talk about, you know, the family games the you know, the ABC game or the license plate bingo or one of my favorites was playing Mad Libs with with my family. That was something that we could all kind of get into. I don't know if you know what Mad Libs is, but it's a story with, you know, blanks where you ask for blind suggestions from, um, you know, those around you, whether you need a, an adjective or a type of animal or uh, a famous person or whatever. So you fill in all these blanks in a pre-written story uh, and then you read back the story without with, with all these out of context suggestions put in. And it just turns out to be hilarious. And and we would do that for hours at a time, especially towards the end of the day. So that was one of the favorite things that we had to do together. But, you know, especially when we were predominantly traveling uh, the highways in the 1970s, um, the family road trip felt much more like uh, you were setting off on an expedition into the wild frontier. 
Um, there weren't nearly as many uh, exits with service stations. Of course, help wasn't just a cell phone call away. We didn't have any cell phones. At best, we might have had a CB radio, and then that was even uh, fairly rare. So if you had mechanical breakdowns, and those were much more common in the 1970s as well because our cars weren't nearly as reliable, if you had breakdowns along the way, if you ran out of gas, if you had an accident like we had on that interstate uh, highway, um, it was kind of up to you as a family to figure out um, either how to fix the car or how to uh, get help. Maybe your dad would have to, to hitchhike to the next exit. You know, you'd have to flag somebody down along the highway. Um, so it very much felt like this adventure that you were all in together um, and you had to rely on each other. You had to form as kids. You know, we had to form alliances uh, you know, which, uh, you know, maybe against our dad sometimes or or maybe in support of, uh, you know, another uh, sibling that was getting too many noogies in the backseat or whatever. Um, so you'd have to negotiate with each other. You'd have to form compromises. Um, but ultimately, it all added up to building these close bonds. And, and uh, I have very close bonds to my siblings to this day, even though we're very much different people in much different careers uh, and I credit those strong bonds to the long hours that we spent traveling together as kids. And that would, that last line there, that is absolute gold, my friend, for, for parents out there listening, uh, traveling with their kids, looking to travel with their kids, you know, just that, that bonding time uh, that, that you described from that, those family road trips, road trips have changed considerably from the seventies now to, uh, you know, the 2010s. Uh, you know, the Mad Libs and the, you know, playing the alphabet game, the license plate game, being stuck on the side of the road. Those things are for the mo most part kind of faded into, into memory. And we've sort of transitioned into this. Everybody's on everybody being on their devices. Have you got a GPS? You've got a service station every 10 or 20 miles. So tell me, has the magic, is the magic gone rich from the family uh road trip? I hope not. Um, you know, I think it, I think some people have let it slip away. But, you know, there's there's a lot of evidence that people are coming back to road trips th these days, especially because of all of the hassles and the expense uh, associated with air travel lately. Right. Air Airfares have gone way up in price over recent years. Um, there's all of these unexpected delays and cancellations. You're shoehorned into an uncomfortable seat. You can't even bring your own drinks with you to the airport. Um so people are kind of rediscovering the practical benefits of, of road travel again. But it's my hope that we also rediscover that shared experience that I'm t that I was talking about earlier that, that has, you know, that always made those road trips so magical. I have two kids now as a father. They're 14 and 12. Um, you know, I, I believe everything in moderation. Right. I, you know, I get it. Uh, I, I had my own, you know, Mattel electronic football game in the back seat when I was traveling in the 1970s. It was one of my most prized possessions. Uh, we all need our, uh, uh, you know, personal time. Uh, I allow the kids to have their electronic devices, but I place limits uh, on how much they can use them. So if they want to, you know, be on social media and text away with their friends uh, or, or watch a, a movie of their own. That's fine. But we're also going to have planned stops along the way to see some interesting points of interest uh, on a recent trip where we went out to Mount Rushmore. You know, we got out at the Field of Dreams where they filmed the, you know, the movie with Kevin Costner. Uh, and one of my sons in particular is a big baseball player. We only spent an hour there, but it was a magical hour. You know, it was a great experience and something that we talked about uh, for a long time. A little bit further along on that same trip, 
Um, we, we paid a visit to someplace that I've always wanted to go, and that was the Surf Ballroom. That was the last venue where Buddy Holly and the Big Bopper and Richie Valens played before they boarded a, 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 an airplane at a nearby aircraft and, of course, crashed into a nor- nearby cornfield, and that's what gave us you know, the day the music died. But in preparation for that experience, I created a special playlist uh, on my phone to be played in the car that was all Buddy Holly music and Richie Valens. And I talked to my sons about, you know, who those guys were and why they were so influential in music. I'm a huge music fan. So that's something that, you know, me and my, and my kids and, and um, wife all, all kind of uh, relate to and, and uh, interact around. Um, so I made it an interactive experience, you know. And then uh, after we went to the, to the surf ballroom, which is still like a museum to those individuals and music from that era, it generated hours of discussion afterward about, you know, how that music kind of fits into today's music and some of the artists that my kids listen to. So it made it a great interactive experience. And I think it just takes a little bit more effort limiting the use of those electronics, getting kids to still be looking out the window, to make stops where you're getting out, you're interacting with people from different areas of the country, you're trying different foods, you're exposing your kids to to different things. Um, you know, all the things that, that only travel and especially road travel can expose your kids to. Yeah. And that's, that's so true with being on the road. You have so many choices, virtually unlimited choices to, to stop and see the things you want to see things that are, you know, not necessarily, you know, highlight, highlight real places that everyone's looking to go, but you can stop on the side of the road. And like you said, see the field of dreams or visit that, you know, the, that venue where the where Buddy Holly and Richie Valens and the Big Bopper played the night they died. That's incredible stuff that you can just stop and decide to see. And creating that playlist for your kids of that music, I think that's especially cool. Any other tips, things like that, things unique, just unique tactics to just really, not just to travel with your kids, but engage them along the way? Yeah, I mean, certainly I think building in some time to do spontaneous, uh, you know, to do spontaneous things along the way. Um, you know, I'll, I'll go back to that same trip a little bit later on down I-90 in South Dakota. We came across the Minuteman Missile Museum. That was nothing that I knew existed. It was actually at the same exit as uh, as for the Badlands. But, you know, it sounded interesting. I happened to know from my own, uh, you know, uh, uh, historical knowledge that America's nuclear arsenal during the, the Cold War was kept out in South Dakota. That's where all the Minuteman missiles were stored in the museums. I thought hey, this might be kind of interesting. So just on a whim, and we were kind of under a, a, you know, a, a deadline. It was getting dark, and we didn't want to be out on, on those roads um, you know, when it was going to be getting dark later. Um, but we paid a visit to that museum, and, and again, we stayed like an hour, and it was one of the most fascinating stops. We learned so much. And just to see you know, an actual Minuteman missile um, – still in its silo, just like it would have been during the 1970s, 1980s at the height of the Cold War. Uh, I think it really made an impression on my sons. And again, it was something else that we talked about for hours. And whenever we talk about that trip, that stop at the Minuteman Missile Museum that we had never planned on was one of the highlights. That is that is so cool. And it's just a perfect example of the kinds of things you can discover on family road trips and you can just choose to stop and see you're not on anybody else's schedule. You can stop and see the things you want to see and show the, show your kids the things that they want to see and find out 
what their interests are and just look for that that spark in their eyes you know that's hopefully going to set them on the on a good road for a lifetime of travel and it can all start with that that family road trip we're talking to Rich Rattay here. He is the author of Don't Make Me Pull Over, an informal history of the family road trip. So Rich, can you summarize in just a few sentences what you hope your readers take away from this book? Well, I, I hope they're going to... I hope they're going to laugh a lot, right? Obviously, I hope to stir up some fun memories using some of my own uh, family stories that I think many of us can relate to. I mean, starting with the title, right? Who among us who's been on a road trip with parents didn't hasn't heard the phrase, don't make me pull over, right? And it stirs up images of that big old dad hand coming over the front seat and trying to grab the neck of whoever's stirring up trouble in, in the rear seat, right? Um, but I, I, I think people are also going to learn a lot. I when I uh, first set out to write this book, I actually put in a year of research before I ever um, wrote my first sentence of this book. And you know, you're going to find out things like you know the first people who crossed uh, America by car, um, how America got its highways, and then ultimately its interstate highways. Very interesting stories there. How we got cool devices like eight-track tape decks uh, and police fuzzbusters. Uh, and drive-through windows and the profound impact that drive-through windows and, of course, the rise of the fast food restaurants like McDonald's and Wendy's had uh, on interstate America at that time. And, of course, I, I answered the burning question that many of us of a certain age have always wanted to know. Why did our station wagons have fake wood paneling on the sides? <laughs> Can you tease that for us? Because I've actually started reading your book and I, I love... Uh, that that first few chapters where you do go into that that history, starting with the first cars and circumnavigating the globe in in a car, and um, that I found that fascinating and, and unexpected actually when I first started yeah. reading your book. That's not what I was expecting to get, but I loved it. I really really enjoyed uh, actually hearing about it. I listened to the audio version of your book, which was super cool. But Rich, you got to tell us right now. Just give us that little tease. Why 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 the wood paneling? Yeah, sure. Well. It goes back to the roots of station wagons, and the roots are actually hinted at in the name station wagon. They were originally wagons that were used around stations. So in the early 1900s, trains were still predominantly the uh, most popular form of long-distance transportation. But what was still needed was some sort of vehicle to take train passengers and their huge trunks and luggage from their homes to the train stations. Uh, and station wagons kind of filled that void. At the time, the major car manufacturers in the early 1900s, like the Fords of the world, uh, they only built models of cars that really were meant to accommodate passengers, not so much uh, their bags and trunks. Uh, so handymen would buy up Model Ts, they'd cut off the metal body right at the, the windshield, and they'd refabricate their own body all in wood so that it would accommodate passengers in a back seat and then all of their trunks and luggage in a, in a large rear cargo area. Uh, and these wood bodies over time, um, as, as car manufacturers got more competitive in the models that they, they offered, they would create more elaborate uh, wood bodies. And eventually some of these station wagons got to be some of the most expensive models in, in their lineups, actually. Um, so whenever we see the wood paneling on, on the sides of station wagons, it's kind of an homage to those original station wagons that were built by handymen almost entirely from wood. That is, that is some kind of homage. And it's fascinating because when you, when you trace it back like that, 
and you just think in those kind of historical pers- that historical uh, perspective, it starts to make sense when you piece it together like that. But when you just see one driving down the road, you think to yourself like, who was the who at Ford decided that we, the plastic wood paneling is is the right look for this car? Well, and you might also recall from if you ever listen to like '60s surf music, you know, surfers were, would always talk about their woodies, right? Well, a Woody was actually a station wagon, and they were ideal for surfers because they would allow the surfer to store their their longboards, in, you know, of course, in the back of these uh, station wagon rear cargo beds. Um, so that's where the that's the genesis of the term Woodies from that from the surf era. Yeah, we still have quite a few of those around here. Actually, you see from time to time out in California, we're oh sure, right, yeah. we're about ninety miles from the coast. We're not, we're not right there in the thick of surf culture, but it, we're kind of on the fringe of it. We got the San Francisco Bay, Santa Cruz is a, a real is a popular surf spot. So yeah, definitely familiar with the Woodies. And if you listen to the, the Beach Boys, you hear them talking about the their Woodies from time to time, and it sounds kind of filthy when I say it like right. that. But yeah, but, right. But we we know what we're talking about here. So let's flash forward to, to today, Rich. Tell me about, you know, you, you touched a bit about on your family and the, some of the trips that you've taken. So talk to us about uh, trips you got planned for the future and, you know, what you're up to. Oh, man. You know, with my own family, first of all, our road trips are kind of on hold while I, <laughs> I promote this book, which has kind of turned into a full-time job. We actually had a road trip planned where we were going to rent an RV and take a trip around the Great Lakes, which is something uh, that we've always wanted to do. And of course, that's, you know, um, uh, pretty easy for me to do living in Milwaukee. Um, but these days, most of our road trips are of the shorter variety. Uh, we'll head to St. Louis. There's a great museum down there called the City Museum. It's one of the most outrageously creative places uh, on earth, and it's actually still a work in progress. They create uh, all this uh, elaborate artwork out of like rebar and concrete and and um, recovered junk from like junkyards, like you know bottoms of bottles and things like that. It is uh, an absolutely fascinating place. Um, and then another favorite place of ours lately has been to go to the Henry Ford, which is in uh, Dearborn, Michigan, right by Detroit. There, um, that is just a, a fantastic museum. It's like a, our very own Smithsonian in the Midwest. Here, it's kind of a museum dedicated to American innovation. It's so much more than cars. It's really all the the heavy machinery and um, like uh, factory uh, works and uh, cloth weavers and all of these interesting things that uh, it's really, you know, a museum of American innovation. And there's also an outdoor part of the museum as well, where Henry Ford literally picked up and gathered um, the buildings of many of his heroes and brought them to Michigan. So one of his heroes was Thomas Edison. He bought Thomas Edison's Menlo Park Laboratory, picked it up, moved it board for board and brick for brick to Detroit. Um, he, he bought the uh, Wright Brothers Bicycle Shop where they actually designed and created uh, most of their first uh, aircraft. You know, of course, the aircraft that, that launched the age of, uh, of air travel. Um, he bought that whole bicycle shop and brought it to this little place that he calls Greenfield Village, right by the museum there in Detroit, Michigan, uh, where Daniel Webster wrote America's first dictionary, bought the guy's house, moved it. You know, and it's just incredible. So he created this entire village with working farm that was once owned by uh, Harvey Firestone. Uh, or, yeah. Uh, and uh, so it's, it's, it's an amazing place. So that's become one of our, our favorite places to, to visit as well. That's fascinating. And I'm going to definitely put it on the list. There was a book I used to read my, my kids when they were really small. 
um, right before they'd go to bed. And it was called Good Night, Michigan. There's a whole series of these Good Night books, but Good Night, Michigan had a, a page about the Henry Ford Museum and all the antique cars. So I was, that's really was my only exposure to the Henry Ford was just that that little blurb in a children's book. But I love how you really fleshed it out and kind of got me excited to go see that someday. So one of the things that's on my list is just what you described, that RV trip. My family, we've done some road trips just in our personal car. We've never done the big family RV trip. And honestly, it's a a little bit daunting. It's a little bit scary having never done it before. So what would you say to someone like me who's interested in that RV trip, but not quite ready to take that step? Oh, well, I mean, you know, obviously renting the RV is the way to do it. I'll tell you, driving one of those uh, RVs is an entirely different experience than even driving a big SUV or a really big car, though. I mean, it's a you don't need a special license if you're getting one of the C-class RVs, um, but it can be a white knuckle experience. Those are big dogs out there, especially, uh, you know, in crosswinds on, on exposed interstates. So you have to be uh, a very attentive driver. Um, you know, obviously drive only when you're, you're fully awake and, and make sure you know your limits. And uh, I'll also recommend paying lots of attention during that initial uh, orientation session because we probably didn't pay as close of attention as we should have, especially um, during the part where they were talking about how to operate the propane heater for the inside. Uh, we didn't think we'd need it. We were traveling during the heart of summer, but we went out to Mount Rushmore, stayed at a campground out there. Uh, and there was an awfully chilly evening at a campground that night. Um, we wanted to turn on that heater, but my, uh, my wife, you know, we, it was kind of hard to figure out because we just didn't pay enough attention. My wife was very leery about, uh, you know, of course, the dangers of carbon monoxide. Of course, when you go to bed at night, you always want to be sure you wake up in the morning, right? So we, uh, we did not turn on the, the heater at all. And so we spent a, a chilly night in a, in a mountain campground near uh, Mount Rushmore. I can, I can imagine that, that, that kind of fear. My wife is my, for better or for worse, she's my dedicated person that pays attention because I would be sitting there and just looking at the RV and tapping my toes saying, come on, let's go. I want to go. I want to go. Right. I want to get behind the wheel of this thing. And yeah. uh, luckily I have her. She would, she's the one who would sit there and actually listen to the safety lecture. If she left that to me, <laughs> then we would have been sleeping in that, uh, in that ice box RV without the heat, the way you described. Cause I, uh, I have great intentions, but, uh, but I get excited and nice. <laughs> I just want to hit it. the road. I man. get it. <laughs> I'm right there with you. All right. So we're talking to Rich Rattay, author of the new book, Don't Make Me Pull Over, an informal history of the family road trip. Now, Rich, can you tell us here, how do you best capture your travel memories when you're out on the road? Uh, well, I wrote a book for one thing. <laughs> Great start. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, what I found, you know, especially going back into my old, old photo albums and everything, my parents were absolutely miserable picture takers. Uh, so, you know, even when I finished the book uh, and I uh, my editor said, you know, you know, hey, you know, it'd be great. This is a great book and everything, but I'm sure people are going to want to see your family and they're going to want to see pictures of your cars and whatnot. Uh, so I, uh, I dug out some of those old photos and uh, sent them off to, to my editor. And he was like, yeah, you know, I think we're going to go without photos on this one. So, um, yeah, so I, I pretty much had to uh, write a book in order to capture our experience these days. You know, of course, with our, our smartphone cameras and whatnot, it's so much easier to take pictures and you can take lots of pictures. And I do. Uh, I document everything 
with short uh, movies and videos and taking lots of pictures. And then uh, my wife is my great compliment in that she's the one who takes all these great photos uh, and uses, you know, all the, the, the cool software available to create these these albums of, of each one of our trips. So that's kind of how we document each one of our road trips. So not everyone out there is going to write a book, clearly, Rich, but a lot of people do like to write journals, maybe even a blog. Do you have any just quick tips for people who want to capture those memories through their words? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, yeah, I think journaling is a, a great thing. It's not something that I did as a kid. It's not something that I do today. I have uh, I have kind of a, a, a mind like a sponge, and so uh, things I, I kind of absorb things readily, but uh, I certainly get the allure of keeping a, a paper journal with you and jotting down uh, your memories, uh, so that you know you can you can jog your own memory when it comes time to uh, to recall those great trips. Excellent. Now, besides your book, of course, Rich, can you recommend a travel related book for us and just tell me why it's special to you? Well, on a practical basis, uh, I certainly like the book Next Exit. Um, which tells you exactly what services, restaurants, uh, rest areas, and whatnot you can expect at every uh, exit along the highway interstate. So I, I find that's a great practical reference. Um, but as you might have picked up, I'm also a history buff. Uh, I think if you are, you know, you, if you know you're going to a certain destination, you should prepare for it by picking up some books about. Uh, the history of that destination and maybe even some of the, the uh, towns and cities along the way so that you have some kind of a historical background um, that can make the experience more meaningful. Years ago, um, you know, we went to Gettysburg, uh, the battlefield out there, and what made that, that uh, experience so much more meaningful to us was I read a great book called The Killer Angels, which is uh, uh, one of the, it was a Pulitzer Prize winning book and one of the great books about the, the Battle of, of Gettysburg, um, but it really brought home that experience to know that you were standing on the same ground where these uh, you know tremendous historic events took place and these great historical figures, um, you know, such as Robert E. Lee and, and uh, many of the great generals on both sides of, of the Civil War, where they actually uh, stood. So, um, I, I highly recommend, you know, getting some some historical books on on uh, the destinations that you're visiting. And then once you get to those destinations, uh, I highly recommend taking things like ghost tours because those guides uh, are often extremely well educated in the history uh, of a particular city. And of course, they tie it into the city's paranormal events or whatnot. But um, just from a historical standpoint, I, I think those tours usually do an exceptional job of of giving you great background on the destination that you're visiting. Is there any one ghost tour out there that you found particularly good? Uh, oh my goodness. I mean, some of my favorite ghost tours were ones from uh, when we went to England. Uh, of course, uh, the, the town of York is known as one of the most haunted cities in Europe and whatnot. That was a great one. Uh, it's hard to beat the ghost tours of New Orleans. I'll tell you that, of course. You know, New Orleans is just kind of a spooky, creepy city with its above ground uh, cemeteries and all the, you know, the voodoo background there. So it's kind of hard to top the, the many ghost tours and voodoo tours of, of New Orleans. Yeah, well, read up on your destinations and don't underestimate a good a good ghost tour. That's something that I have never done, and I'm adding it to my list because that just sounds super super awesome. I think there's actually 
even one here in my hometown of Sacramento that I'm going to, I'm going to look into and, and check that out with maybe even with my kids, if they can handle it. My kids are only five and two. I'm not sure they're quite ghost tour ready, but we'll, we'll get them there. That sounds great. So Rich, give me a gadget, a gadget or a tool that you just always travel with that just makes every trip better. Yeah, I think uh, I alluded it uh, to it earlier uh, in, in discussing my playlist and the one I created for the surf ballroom. Uh, so it would have to be my, my iPhone and the or my iPad, uh, you know, where I keep my iTunes library of tunes. I create special playlists for every road trip that we go on. So the one to Mount Rushmore was like my all 1970s playlist. It just felt right to play, you know, like those great 70s California bands, the Eagles and and uh, Carpenters and, and we even, well, we put in some Bee Gees there too because my kids love the Bee Gees. But, um, you know, I created a special playlist for that. And just like with the Surf Ballroom, I created, you know, my own 50s playlist and it, and I give the kids their opportunities to share their music with everybody in the car as well. So it's not like I'm just a dictator and, and you know, making them listen to dad's music or anything like that. But I, I think music, at least for my family, it's a great way for us all to find something um, common that we can uh, interact around, whether we're singing along with some of the songs or talking about the background of some of the musicians. Um, so I, w- I would call my iPad with my my iTunes music library, one of my most indispensable gadgets. Yeah. I love how specific you were with that advice. You know, it's not just your iPhone, but specifically creating that playlist, uh, creating that soundtrack for the adventure with your family. Exactly. And just to kind of add on to that, I just find that when I I've done similar things, probably not quite the level of detail that you have, but what I found is that even when the trip's over, sometimes when the trip's long over, you can go back to that playlist and it'll bring those memories, those great memories kind of flooding back from that trip. Absolutely, Aaron. No question about it. You know, I I think back on just about every road trip that I've taken and I can almost name one song that played a key uh, role, you know, on that trip. Um, You know, especially some of my like spring break vacations with friends. There was always that one song that um, brings all those memories kind of come rushing back every time I hear it. Yeah, I love that. Anytime you can just really capture those memories and ingrain them into your brain, you know, that's that's a good day for me because I love to go back and revisit those memories and share them and just, uh, you know, just and just learn from those experiences and share them with the, the, with the people that I love. And it's, it's a whole lot of fun. So I really appreciate you getting into that level of detail here, Rich. So before we say goodbye, Rich, Ritay, what is your biggest travel dream that hasn't come true yet? Ah, yeah. Well, there's two big trips out there, and I certainly talk about them a lot in my book, so it's time that I actually take them. Uh, I have always dreamed of, of tracing the route of Route 66 from its genesis in Chicago all the way to the West Coast. I would love to do that, and as a close second to that, I would love to travel what's left of the Lincoln Highway, America's first transcontinental highway from Times Square in New York City uh, all the way to San Francisco, those would be my two dream trips, and they're definitely on my bucket list. All right. Well, keep them on that list, Rich. And when you hit Highway 66, when you when you travel that Lincoln Highway, I want you to get in touch. Let us know that you made it, and we want to follow you on your journey. Dramatic Travels family, we've been talking to Rich Rattay. His brand new book is called Don't Make Me Pull Over, An Informal History of the Family Road Trip. You know you can pick that up on Amazon. There's also the audio version as well, which I enjoyed. Rich, is there any other place uh, where you particularly, or any other place you can recommend to pick up your book? Uh, BarnesandNoble.com. And of course, you know, it's really important that we all get out there and support those local independent booksellers as well. They need our help, right? 
Absolutely. No question about it. So uh, definitely, my friend, pick up the book. Again, the name is Don't Make Me Pull Over, an informal history of the family road trip. The author is Rich Rattay. Rich, thanks so much for joining us here on Dramatic Travels Family. You bet, Aaron. Thanks so much for having me on. The notes for this episode are at dramatictravels.com slash 28. Remember, my friend, your emotional memories are your most powerful memories. So put some emotion in your motion. Motion.